Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful to be here. And Lord, to spend some time learning how to get to know you better. Lord, I know that this is the whole life of the Christian, of getting to know you more and being able to share that with others. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit would come in here, impress our hearts. Lord, may your words be spoken clearly so that we can be drawn nearer to you and that your character would be seen in spite of all the misunderstandings that we have. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, the seminar I'm sure you've seen is called Making God in Your Own Image. How many of you saw that and were kind of perplexed by what it means? Now, it's interesting. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I don't see God that way? Or I believe in a God who does this. Or I believe God looks like this. And they're just conjecturing of what they think God is like. Um, Something that hit me, I'll I'll share an experience of how this title came up in my mind. There was a canvasser who went to a door. Um, I'm involved in literature ministry, so canvassing is really near and dear to my heart. And so a lot of stories will come from there because I believe it brings out practical applications. So a young man goes to a door, and a gentleman comes to the door. And immediately, you know, the canvasser starts saying something to him, like, hi, my name is blank, and we're just, we're working through school. And the guy just looks at him and says, hey, I want nothing that you have. I don't want anything about God. I'm an atheist. And the canvasser just looked at him, and he said, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And so the atheist is kind of taken back, and he's thinking, and he's like, well, I don't believe in a God who burns people in hell forever. I don't believe in a God and just keeps going down the list. And at the end of his list, the, the Adventist canvasser looks at the man and says, well, that's great. I don't believe in that God either. And the atheist steps back, and he's, he's perplexed. This is the God that he's heard about all his life. Well, how does he not believe in this God? And what that shows me is that our view of God changes how we relate to him. Do you agree? However we see God changes how we relate to him, how we want to get to know him. And so in order to know God in his fullness, right, the devotional life, that's the part that we're talking about here, we have to have a correct basis or correct understanding of who God is from the beginning. Would you agree? Now, this obviously isn't just a simple task to accomplish. We're not going to be able to go through every single thing of looking at God's character, what he's like, so that we can understand him better, have a proper understanding, right? We're always growing in that. The path of the just, you know, grows more and more until that perfect day. So it's always a learning experience, but what we're going to be doing here is trying to look at one of the most fundamental issues of who God is and the common misunderstanding of that. Um, And how I want to share it is, just to give you a background on why I'm talking on what I'm talking on, is I've always... About the last five or six years of my life, I started being interested in what God wanted. And so I started studying the Bible, but how many of you have started studying it and felt like I have no clue what it's talking about? And so I was in that situation, I feel like I don't understand this, and I felt like God was just trying to make me study the Bible so that I could be approved by Him. If I got it, then God would accept me. And it was just this whole different mentality than what the Bible really portrays. But sometimes we're tempted to feel that way, correct? We're we're tempted to feel like, well, God doesn't really care about me now, Um, But once I start to learn about him, then he'll accept me. So I was feeling like that. I I got so desperate that I'm like, I just have to know the Bible. Um, I would study several hours every day. And this is while I was in college. So it wasn't like I was just, you know, had a bunch of free time. So I thought I would study. But I was spending at least three hours studying the Bible every day. And I still felt like, Lord, I have no clue how to study it. And I remember I was going through the book of Ephesians. I decided this is the book I'm going to learn. I want I want to know one book at least. So I memorized the whole book of Ephesians and 
I read it probably 300 times, and I remember going up to an evangelist once and said, hey man, I don't know how to study the Bible, how do I study it? And he said, well, why don't you pick a book of the Bible? I was like, okay, I have already. He's like, okay, well, read it like 10 times. I, was re I told him, I was like, well, I read Ephesians 200 times already right now. You know, does that count? And he just looked at me astounded, like, what's wrong? You know, that's, that's supposed to do it. But the reason why I couldn't understand the Bible is because I saw God as someone distant, and I saw God as someone who he wasn't. And this is what I want to share with you, this, the journey that I took. And I want to read a quote, a quote to you, because this is what the great controversy is about, right? You know, Satan is constantly trying to misrepresent who God is in order to draw us away from God. Would you agree? And so I want to read you a quote. This is from Desire of Ages, page 21, paragraph 3. It says, He, Lucifer, sought to gain control of heavenly beings. So he's trying to gain control, and this is what he does to do that. It says that he therefore misrepresented God, attributing to him the desire of self-exaltation. With his own evil characteristics, he sought to invest the loving creator. So Satan knows that if he could get the angels to think that God was not loving, that he was just concerned about himself, that then he could draw them away from God. And not only that, but he sought to put his own characteristics, that of the devil, on God. And I think that's really what we're seeing today, right? You hear a lot of non-Christian um, atheist people who say they want nothing to do with God because they don't believe in a God who does blank, right? And it may not even be a biblical thing, or it's just a misunderstanding of scripture that's leading them to that view of God. And so, what is it that can help us change our mindset? Where do you think we can find the clearest representation of who God is? Christ? And this is what I started thinking. You know, what is, what is the purpose of Christ coming? We know that he came to what? Die for our sins, right? We've heard that since we were this big. But what, what else did Christ's death reveal to us? And what does that show us about God's character as a whole? And that's what we're going to be kind of focusing on is what is it that causes, what brings about this mind shift? Because we look at Adam. Okay, let's think of Adam back in the Garden of Eden, right? And Genesis chapter 3, what happens to Adam and Eve? They fall. And Adam does what? Wait, this is common. This is common knowledge. What does Adam do after he falls? He goes and what? Hides. And he hides. And why is he hiding? Shame. And so what does sin bring? It brings shame. We've heard this before. But Adam had this thought that since he had sinned, he was no longer accepted with God, right? He was just, there was no way that God could love him. How many of you have ever felt like, how could God so perfect love someone so sinful as me? And so I felt that way, and that's how I was feeling as I was studying the Bible, and this is how Adam felt. So as he's feeling that way, he runs from God, and so God comes into the garden, says, Adam, where are you? And he says, well, Lord, you know, I'm hiding because, you know, when I heard you coming, I, I had sinned. And well, who told you you were naked? You know, and it goes through this whole process, which we're familiar with. But what I want to bring out is that it was Adam's misunderstanding of what happens after sin that really led him to have a misunderstanding of God. He thought that God, now that he had sinned, was just kind of keeping him at arm's length, not allowing him to come close to him. How many of you have felt that way as well? And so this is what we're looking at. We're going to be seeing that God is not a God who keeps you at arm's length, but God is a God who pursues us. Amen? So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, is where we're going to go ahead and take a start, because we're going to see that this, this idea of clearing up God's character did not just originate with Christ, but that God was attempting to clarify who he was even before that. So Hebrews chapter 12, 
verse 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, sorry, 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 sorry. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, forgive me. That's a good verse too, though. Read 12. It's a blessing. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. This is specifically what we want to look at this, this afternoon. And it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So what does verse 1 give us this picture of? And the King James, it says, God, who in sundry times and in diverse ways spoke in times past unto the fathers. So we have this idea of God communicating with the fathers. How is he communicating with them? Um, specifically after that, it says, through the fathers by the prophets. So we have this idea that God is attempting to do all he can to communicate with humanity. So he's sending prophets to speak to the fathers or to speak to those who came before these people in Hebrews. Now, does that give you an idea of a God who has just kind of cast these people off after sin? No. You have this idea that after sin, God was still coming to do all that he could to pursue humanity. And that he was doing all that he could to reveal his character to those around us um, through the prophets. And so, but then what does it say? Verse 2. It says that in these last days, how has he spoken to us? He's spoken to us by his son, and do you think this is a better representation than the, the fathers had by the prophets? Or is it equal? It's even better. So God's saying, you know what? I, I sent my prophets, but what did you do to them? You killed my prophets. And I sent more prophets. You killed them too. And all I'm trying to do is share with you what I'm really like, but you want nothing to do with it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to give up on you like what you normally think I'm going to do. But I'm actually going to send the best representation of who I am to you. So in that, Christ comes in the incarnation and God becomes what? Flesh. He becomes a man. And this is, this is an interesting time. We've heard this so many times, right? We've heard God became a man. He lived among us. And it becomes so familiar that we lose the importance of it. And this is what really hits me. You know, our familiar, familiarity with Scripture can often be our biggest hindrance. Would you agree? You know, you read it and you say, oh, I know that. How many of you have done that before? Oh, I know that verse. I, I know that. The pastor tells you to open to a verse in church. I don't need to open to that one. Maybe you guys just did that now. I don't know. But I know that verse. I don't need to look at that. And we're doing that because we think we know it, right? And that can hinder us so much because Scripture has such depths to plummet that if we think we know it, we can't grasp the deeper things. And so that's one principle you can learn is that don't think you know it. Have a humble, teachable spirit and that God will continue to lead us. But we look at this, that Christ became a man, that he left all the glories of heaven for what reason? According to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. To reveal God to us. And so we have this idea that he comes to reveal God to us. And Matthew chapter 1 shows what kind of God this is. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. This is a quick overview or Bible study of what God's character is like. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verse 23. Very common verse. You hear it on Christmas Day quite a bit. But don't let the cliche uh, hinder the, the depths of Scripture that are here. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. 
It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Why are they calling his name Emmanuel? What does it say? God with us. And this is what blows my mind, that when God saw that we rejected the prophets, that when he saw we wanted nothing to do with him, he sends himself to be with us. And it's like God is just removing all barriers. He's pulling out all stops and saying, whatever it takes to reach these people, I'm going to do it. And so when you have this picture that God comes to be with us, that's so much different than what we often think. When did, when did this happen, though? Did God come to be with us when we had it all right? Was it because the Jews were starting to get a hold on it that God said, well, now I'll come to be with them? No, it was in the hour of greatest darkness, right? We look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. What does it say? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let's go ahead and turn there. Let's put it in perspective. When did God come? Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us. How did he demonstrate his love towards us? In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we have God coming to this earth, not while we have it all together, not while we're even seeking after him, but in the middle of the time where we're rejecting him. Do you guys see that? Now, is that a different perspective than we often think? How many of you have sinned and just felt like God is so far away from me right now? Or sometimes you're just sitting there on your knees, you're praying, and you're thinking, God isn't even hearing my prayers. He's so distant. I don't even know why I'm praying. I'm just wasting my time. But in the Bible, we see that God is a God who is with us. He's a God who's among us. He's a God who's pursuing us. And that God is doing whatever it takes to be near to us, regardless of what we're doing to be away from him. Does that make sense? Now, he's not violating our will. You know, he's not pushing things on us, but he's trying to give us every opportunity possible to know him more. And this is something that blew my mind, because if any of you are like me, when I was first coming to Christ, I remember there was a lot of explicit sins in my life, if you know what I mean. Um, I mean, before I was interested in God, I was very interested in street racing and drugs and crazy music. And just thinking, how could God ever accept me? How could God do this? And it doesn't even go there. Some of you have been Christians and been good Christians most of your lives. But you still have that feeling. You, you realize that in contrast, your character to Christ's character, you're pretty bad, right? I mean, all of us are pretty bad. And that makes us feel like, well, God wants nothing to do with me. But what we should see is that God in Scripture has been close and personal to his people from the beginning, right? He forms Adam of the dust of the ground. He, he's personal with his people. Even when we reject him, he sends his prophets. That's the best representation he could send at that time. And then even while we were yet sinners, he sends Christ to be with us. Now, how many of you, is that kind of a, a paradigm shift? It's hard to think that way when you're feeling guilty, to be honest. And so this is something that we need to recognize because I believe the greatest hindrance in having a consistent devotional life is having an inconsistent view of who God is. Because if you believe, oh, God accepts me when I'm good, but rejects me when I'm bad, then how are you ever going to be consistent, right? Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that God likes sin, right? And I'm not saying that it's okay to sin and that we should take it lightly. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that God, in spite of who we are, still loves us, right? Unconditional love. And this is something that is so important for us to learn because if we can't see that God loves us at all times, how are we ever going to love him at all times? And so these are, these are changes that we really need to make in our thinking and ask God. We can't do it on our own. We have to ask God that he'll change our perspective and give us this new insight.
You know, one of my favorite quotes I want to share with you really quick is found in Desire of Ages, uh, page 25. And it paints the picture of what Christ really came to do when he came to this earth. It says, Christ was treated as ye deserve, so that you could be treated as he deserved. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. Does that make sense? He's giving up everything to take our condemnation, and we're giving him junk to get his glorification. Does that make sense? He's just getting the, un he's getting the short end of the deal. And it says, he suffered the death which was ours, that we might live the life which was his. By his wounds we are healed. And as I read that in Desire of Ages, it just paints a different picture of who God is. God with us. God who's concerned about us at all times. Regardless of what we, of what we feel, or regardless of if we slept in a little that morning and didn't have a devotional life. You know what I mean? Now, this is often, people can take this as, oh, God loves me and it doesn't matter what I do, Right? But when you realize what God has done for you and you realize the love that he's shown, doesn't it just lead you to want to know him more? I mean, it's amazing. When you see someone who sacrifices so much for you, it causes you to love them more. Like, I'll give you an example. The first time I ever saw a clear picture of who God was was actually through one of my friends while I was still in the world. So one of my friends um, took another one of my friend's phones. And he took his phone and he texted this Hispanic guy a really insulting name to Hispanic people. And the guy got so upset that he said, I'm driving right to where you are right now and I'm going to come take care of you. And now my friend whose phone it was had no clue what was going on, right? Someone had just taken his phone. It was actually the pastor's son who took his phone and texted him. And so my friend reads the text message. He's like, what's going on? And he finds out that his friend had just texted him. It was totally his other friend's fault. So my other friend's like, fine, you know what, I'll just go deal with the guy. So he goes out to the parking lot, the guy gets there, and all of us are around, you know, like, hey, man, we got your back, we got your back. And, and the guy steps out of his truck and just goes up to my friend and hits him straight in the face, splits his lip, he falls to the ground, and what do we do? We ran, man, like, I don't want to get hit. Are you serious? Like, he's bleeding pretty bad. And my friend gets back up, stands to the guy. Now, I'm not saying this is the proper way of dealing with people. This is not the illustration. But he just kept, he kept taking it. And I remember just riding home that night, and my mom was driving, and I was just crying. And my mom was like, what's wrong with you, you know? And she knew what happened. She knew how he got hit, but she didn't really understand the whole story. And what was really going through my mind is that's exactly what Christ did for us, to a greater degree. You know, Christ took something that he didn't deserve at all, and took the full blame for it. And even when we said, oh, I got your back, Christ, I got your back, we ran. And he, he came to his own, his own knew him not. And so this is the picture that, that we have of how Christ loves us. We often think that Christ just walked through this world with very little care. Well, he knew the Father, he could talk to the Father. So can we. You know, we can have that same connection, but that doesn't take away our problems, right? Christ had a hard life, and he was willing to live that just so that we could get to know him more, so that we could see his character, so that we could have the benefits of eternal life. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, how does this have anything to do with the devotional life? Anyone feeling guilty of that? I mean, how does this, what does this really have to do with studying the Bible? You know, how is this going to help me studying the Bible? Well, I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to have a devotional life? Anyone? 
someone want to offer an idea what it means to have a devotional life to them? It doesn't have to be a dictionary definition. It can be. But what does it mean to have a devotional life? An audience with God. Amen. That's what it is. It's an audience with God. Okay. How, how often does that happen? Is that an audience with God once a day? Is that an audience with God 24 hours a day? You know, what, is, what does it look like? What, is, what comes to your mind just the first thing when you think of devotional life? Regularly spend time with God. Very good. Now, when you think of that, audience with God, regularly spending time with God, do you want to spend time with a God who you think won't accept you half the time? And I want, you to, I want to challenge you to think back to your devotional life, okay? And think back to those times where it was very strong or think back to the time when it was the weakest. And try to think of what was, what was causing it to be that way. I know for me that 100% of the time it has been because I thought God was someone who he wasn't. And that's when my devotional life plummeted. But when I saw God in his true character, of someone who loves us, who accepts us unconditionally, it just propelled me to want to know him more. And I want, us, I want us to think about that, because in order to have a consistent devotional life, we have to love the person who we're going to devote our life to. So that's, I want us to see that it's not only, this isn't just a theoretical talk, you know, Christ coming to become a man, but it's something that impacts our total reality. And I think that's true with every true theology, right? I mean, every, everything, where you see through the Bible something that might seem disconnected from life, really has ways in which it plays into your life. Now, we already talked about one incorrect view of God, right? The atheists and non-Christians. And what does that cause them to do? They want how much to do with God? Nothing. They don't, they don't want to do it, right? I don't see God like this. I don't go to church. People are hypocrites. God is like this. That's why I'm not doing it. Now, what about for Christians? Do you think having an incorrect view of God, because we're already coming close to Christ, right? We all have an interest to be with God. That's why we're here. We're wanting to know how to know God more. Can an incorrect view of God still hinder us? Can it cause us to look for things that aren't there? Or cause us to have preconceived ideas which have no foundation? I want us to think, what about the Jews? Do you guys know who the Jews are? You ever heard of them before? So the Jews of the Old Testament, right? We, would you say that they had a correct understanding of what the mission of the Messiah was? No. Why do you say no? Yeah. They're expecting a king with royalty and power. And what, what caused that to be a problem? <laughs> That's, it was nothing like what God was, right? So if we have an expectation that God is going to fulfill something that he's not, do you think we're going to be disappointed? How many of you have ever studied the Bible thinking that, oh, what a consistent devotional life means is that I just have an ecstasy of feelings. I'm excited all the time. And it just means like I'm having whoa moments like every time in the day. How many of you have honestly thought that? I mean, even maybe not to that degree but have thought that there's going to be some, yeah, thank you. There's some honest people. Have, that it's just going to be some amazing feeling experience when we start to have a consistent devotional life. If you haven't felt like that, I, I praise the Lord because I felt like that for several years. And honestly, if we're seeking for a feeling-based experience, then we're going to be disappointed every time because that's not what God offers, right? I mean, we look at Paul. You know, Paul says that he was content in whatever state he was, when he had, when he didn't have, when he was in, when he was starving, when he was full. 
you know, he was content regardless of circumstances, regardless of how he felt. And if we start basing our Christian experience on consistency, on how we feel, then we're going to have a really large problem. Can you guys see that? And so when we, when we trace down the, the view of what happened with the Jews a little bit more, they were expecting Christ to come, and they were expecting him to, you know, chop and lop the heads off the Romans. And because of that, then he was going to set up a, an earthly kingdom, right? And why did they come to this conclusion? They had Bible verses to back it up, right? Didn't they? I mean, you read the Old Testament, and there's some verses that really sound like you're going to be establishing an earthly kingdom. Is that true? Now, what is it then that can cause people who even read the Bible and want to know God more, want to do his will, well, let's, let's change that, who, who are reading the Bible and have somewhat of a desire to know God to still come up with false understandings? What is it? Their own desire. And it's the purpose with which that you come to Scripture which will affect the outcome, right? In, you know, theological terms, they call it exegesis, eisegesis, right? That affects how you look at the Bible. What it means is if you're coming to the Bible expecting to read something out of it that may not be there, eisegesis, to a, to a small degree, then if you come with preconceived ideas, you may be able to find some things to support that, right? But if you come, they call it exegesis, you're kind of putting away all your preconceived ideas, just coming to the Bible, seeing what does it say, that's when you can see God in his true fullness. That's, does that make sense? So what, we, what is so important for Christians so that we don't end up like the Jews, expecting a feeling-based religion or expecting something that God does not offer and then we're feeling disappointed because we're not getting what he doesn't even offer, is lay down those preconceived ideas. You know, if you think, well, God is going to make me feel like this, it's not a feeling base. Hey, here's a good one for you. All who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Does that sound like a good feeling? No. You know, it's this totally throws it on its head and helps you to see that it's a totally different thing than what we expected. And throughout scripture, you see that we often can have these misconceptions of who God is. But it's only when we lay those down and say, God, I'm confused. How many of you have been confused? I'm confused with what you're like. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for. Um, I don't know what I am currently looking for, but all that I know is I want to know you. And I know that you're a God who wants to know me because I see that you did whatever it took to help me to know you. And so when you have this idea, I don't even know what God's like, but I realize that he's pursuing me with everything that he has. Do you feel like you can be a little more consistent? Because you're not looking for, oh, Am I getting this feeling? Or did I learn a lot of information this morning in my devotions? No, you're looking for, how can I just get to know God more? Because I know he wants to show me, and I know he will in time, right? And so the, the thing I want to encourage everyone on is that the importance of devotions is not just so you feel better. If you're feeling bad, if you struggle with depression, I mean, I've struggled with depression for a large portion of my life, and the only way to be able to have God help you with those things is not to go to the Bible and think, oh, this will be a quick fix pill type thing, but that in knowing who Christ is, I have stability. God doesn't change. He's the same. Does this make sense? Are you guys seeing a connection here with your devotional life? Are you being able to make that connection? Because I'm hoping this is, this is practical because as I'm thinking, you know, they gave me the topic of devotions, and I was thinking, man, I... First of all, I have no qualifications. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, I don't have letters behind my name. I'm not. But, and I'm thinking, why, why devotions? What is, what is the core of devotions? 
And then I was thinking, wait, that's the Christian life. That's like everything. Because your devotion to God, you can't just devote your life to God one day a week, right? You can't just devote your, God, your time to God an hour a day. And we'll talk about this more in the next section. But a devotion life is something that encompasses everything that you do. And as I was thinking, so what is devotion? What does it mean? How do we become devoted to God? What, what is it that God is using the Bible to do in our lives? Has any of you asked that question before? What is the purpose of the Bible? Why do we hold this book? And I believe it's really clear. Let's go to Romans really quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, if some of you have headings, my heading in my Bible says dedicated service. Now, dedication is a, a synonym with devotion. I'm not making a huge case of this, of this is exactly what the verse is saying. But you can see that the idea of dedication or devotion is in this verse that Paul is talking about here. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we've read this many times. Some of you may have memorized it. And it says, I therefore beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And what? And be not conformed to this world, but what are we to be? Be transformed by what? Renewing of your mind, that you may prove that it, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, right? So what is the whole issue here? What is Paul saying? He says we, we're supposed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, and then he keeps zoning in, right? He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So, okay, I need a change of my body. No, no, no. Not just a change of your body, but be transformed in the renewing of your what? Your mind. What does it mean, your mind? Is God asking us to have operations on our head to pull it out and put a new brain in? I mean, honestly, like, the Bible uses symbolism or analogies to relate things, and sometimes we don't take time to break it down so we don't get the depths of Scripture. What does it mean to have a renewed mind? Your, yeah, your thought process, your choices, right? Everything that happens, happens from where? Our mind. It controls us, right? And so God is saying, hey, in order to be, this is what I'm requiring of you as a Christian. This is what I'm wanting to see. Not as some requirement that's going to hold over your head so you have to feel like you have to do something, but a requirement so you can experience the best of life, you know, life more abundantly. He says, you need to have a renewed mind. Well, how do we, how do we have a renewed mind? How do we change our minds? By the word of God, definitely, guarding it. And we're going to be going more into depth in practical ways of doing this in the next seminar. But I just want to give you guys thoughts. Like, why are you studying the Bible? What is your purpose of studying the Bible? What is, why did you come to this seminar? You know, what are you thinking? What, getting at the core of the problem. Because when you can address the root, it really affects the fruit. But if you're just chopping off the fruit and trying to get rid of that, then it's going to hinder yourself, right? So we see this, that Paul is calling for a renewed mind. Now, do we see this theme throughout Scripture, or is this a, the only place that Paul talks about this? All throughout, right? I mean, we see it, you know, Paul says, put away the old man and allow the new man to come, right? Or if any man be in Christ, he's a what? A new creature. There's this idea of a revision or a rethinking of how we live our lives. And that's the point of the Scriptures. Do you guys see that? We all have these false conceptions of who God is. Regardless of who we are, what our background is, how long we've been studying the Bible, there are still these false conceptions, right? We're growing more and more every day. It steps to Christ, not a leap into his presence, you know? It's, we're growing to know God more. 
And as we continue this process, we're, we're seeing that, man, I didn't think God was like that before. I didn't, I didn't know God actually cared about me regardless of, you know, my behavior. And it starts to just put our thoughts on its head. The reason I share this is I was in high school, I was with a friend. I was actually just talking to her about this last night. In high school, we, we went on a mission trip together. And she, she asked me, like, hey, what are you going to be doing in the morning or something? And I, I was like, oh, I'm studying the Bible. Well, why do you study the Bible? She's an Adventist girl, you know. Why are you studying the Bible? Um, and I didn't have an answer, you know. I, that's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, didn't your mom tell you to study the Bible or something, you know? Like, and I, I was just thinking, well, why, don't, why do I study the Bible? She's like, well, I don't study the Bible because God's with me all the time, right? We just looked at that, didn't we? We just look how God is constantly with us. He's pursuing us. Why do we need to study? He's, he's with us. So I, I, I was stumped, man. I was like, I don't know why I study the Bible. I guess I had nothing else to do for two hours a day. Like, I mean, to be honest, when you get questioned on some fundamental things, we don't know. But I began to think about it, and I realized that there's a different premise that she was coming from. If I have the thought that God is walking beside me, and if I'm not reading the Bible, and wherever I walk, God's like, hey, turn left. Okay, cool. Hey, talk to this person. Hey, this is what I'm like. You know, God's just talking to me all day long. Then would I need the Bible? No. But does God still, does God still on a daily basis, in a common circumstance, talk to us all the time? Verbally is what I mean. No, we don't, we don't live in that type of society. God chose to use the Bible to speak to us, right? And as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, well, I have misconceptions of who God is. So in order to clear that up, what do I do? Just keep knowing that God's with me? Like, how, how does that happen? And so God has given us the Bible to change our minds, to help us realize that, yes, I'm with you, but you need a, you need a transformed character. You need a different way of thinking. And it's just putting everything else on its head. And so this is something that has really established what it means to have a devotional life. Does that make sense? So we have three minutes left. And if there's anyone with any questions, I just want to take a couple sec seconds to answer those. Um, just pertaining to this seminar specifically, either what God's like or different, like why we have devotions or anything like that. Um, and if you ask a question that's in the next seminar, I'll just let you know we'll be covering that so you can stick around. Um, but does anyone have any questions they feel? I guess it's kind of more of a comment. Do you want me to be a part of my life? Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, I, I think that's great. God does not force himself on us, but he's with us. But he's still allowing us to take the initiative to allow him to impact our lives. Very good. Our sister in the back. Exactly. Devotions are based nothing on feelings, honestly. And I, I'm so glad you bring that point up because there's a quote in Ellen White where she talks about faith is as far from feelings as the East is from the West. So if you're waiting for your feelings to come, just you're going you're gonna to have to get over it because they're not going to come. And so... I mean, read Steps to Christ. The first four chapters are really practical, talking about you don't just wait till you feel like you're forgiven to know you're forgiven. You know, and it's practical in the Christian life. Yeah. I mean, how many of you have just walked next to people on the promenade on a daily basis, and then you just felt like, oh, I didn't need to talk to them. I walk next to them every day. I know them. No, it's talking with people, getting to know them, and that changes how you perceive them, right? You know, I've, I've met people um, that are sitting in this room who I perceived very differently when I first saw them. But once I got to know them, I saw that they're nothing like what I thought they were. Have, has that happened to anyone else? That's the same thing with the Christian life. We may think, well, God is like this, or God is like that. 
but once you get to know him, it's going to change your mind. And so I just want to show this, that in studying the Bible, the reason why we do it is because we don't want to make God in our own image, right? That's the danger that we could all fall into. That's what the Israelites fell into with idolatry, making gods in their own image. And it can still happen to us today. We can still make a God who is just according to our own likeness instead of being in his image. Does that make sense? So I pray that this is practical. The next session, we're going to be going over what does it look like practically to have a lifestyle of worship? Looking more into the devotion question, what does it mean to devote yourself to God and getting into specifics, practice, and then the following session will actually be studying part of the Bible together, focusing more on what does it mean to study the Bible, practical principles of that. So let's go ahead and pray together. I thank you for your cooperation, and let's praise the Lord for his spirit being with us. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful for this time we've been able to spend in your word. And Father, we just humbly come to you realizing that we need your spirit. And Lord, we need you to change our minds. We recognize that we're messed up, that we need help. But Lord, in the midst of that recognition, we recognize that you're a God who desires to help us more than anything else. So Father, I pray that you would continue to guide us in these sessions. Lord, may your spirit lead us of how we can know you more. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.